Hello and welcome to Plain Talking, a new monthly podcast from the Plain Truth magazine. Think of us as Plain Truth's kid brother, if you like. Each month, we look at some of the issues covered in the magazine. Think about the plight of persecuted Christians and other minorities across the world. And there will be a thought for the month slot with brother David Jardine. And from time to time, we'll take a look at some of the books and films that have captured our attention. start today's episode with an extraordinary story from Open Doors. Open Doors campaigns on behalf of persecuted Christians across the world, distributing Bibles, training and raising the profile of persecuted minorities. The organisation annually publishes its World Watch List, ranking countries by the severity of their persecution against Christians. But heroic faith adventures are at the heart of the Open Door story. It all began in 1955 when Andrew van der Bill, brother Andrew, started smuggling Bibles to Poland and the communist bloc. And then on June the 18th, 1981, a clandestine Bible smuggling endeavour of epic proportions took place, named Project Pearl. Well, this year is the 40th anniversary of that amazing incident, and I'm delighted to welcome Paul Estabrooks, who worked with Open Doors for 38 years and is now retired. Paul was part of that adventure. He's an eyewitness, if you like. Welcome, Paul. Good to have you with us. Well, thank you for the invite. Um, so this is the 40th anniversary of Project Pearl. Uh, this may be something that many of our listeners are not familiar with. So I wonder if you could just, just you know, start from where you want to start and, and take us on the adventure. Okay. Well, I'd love to. It was an incredible experience and probably one of the highlights of my life. Uh, I visited China in the 1970s twice when I was working with Far East Broadcasting Company. My, my visits there were to monitor how Christian radio programs were coming in during those difficult days at the very end of the Cultural Revolution. First trip was, of course, a Canadian friendship tour. Our country had established uh, diplomatic relations, and we had the opportunity to, to visit. And um, broadcasts were coming in well. But on both trips, I met Christians who spoke English, uh, medical doctors, they were, uh, who told me they were desperate for Bibles. We need Bibles. We, we have new people coming to faith, and there's just nothing here. They were destroyed during the Cultural Revolution, and nothing has been brought in since. Uh, well, Open Doors about that time invited me to join them, and I did, and upon joining them in 1979, we had our first major actual request from a network of house churches in southern China for 30,000 New Testaments. They were very small, uh, very, very tiny. I mean, they were, uh, they were very, very small, but if you put 500 of them in a hard side suitcase, yeah. That suitcase weighed 92 pounds, huh. and huh. each each of the 30 people who took those into China at a uh, called Project Rainbow, that's what the Chinese called it. Those of us who carried those heavy bags called it Project Hernia. Uh, but we had in in each hand we had a, a a suitcase with 92 pounds and nothing but Bibles in it, not a thing else. Uh, they were wrapped in paper or wrapping. Oh, 
And in 10 days, we were able to take 30,000 New Testaments in and successfully get them to believers. They had an all-night prayer meeting thanking God for these tiny, tiny little books. You know, now I almost would need a magnifying glass to read them. Yeah, but yeah. they were just happy to get them. Well, they came back to us and said, we're so thankful for all that you did to get these to us. But we need a million Bibles if every Christian we know is to have a Bible. We still, they said, have house church pastors who don't have a Bible, even after all these yeah. New Testaments came in. Yeah. Well, our director, Brother David, um, who was an American, whose real name was Douglas Sutphin, which we can share now, just like you did, Brother Andrews. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was a man of faith. He loved to trust God for big things. And he said, whoa, this is almost impossible. So let's trust God that we can do it. <laughs> and then they came back to us and said, we want them all at one time, all at one place. Yeah. Well, wow. You know, I mean, but, but we, of course... Um, we're realizing that if we did that, then this would be a much bigger event than what we'd even expected. But we, Brother David was also a, a military man from his early life, and he, he studied this uh, little book called the, um, the Ethics of War. And uh, one of and the elements of war, uh, some of the elements are, of course, the element of surprise and, and secrecy. And so he was just nuts about this. Everything had to be surprised. So we, we kept, uh, publicly, we kept the image of our suitcasing methods that we'd been using into China as the way it would be done. So it would just be more and more suitcasing until a million Bibles were into the country. But in the same well, time... Well, can I just interrupt? Because it's one thing to yeah. distribute a million Bibles. But, I mean... Um, where were they printed? I mean, how do you, you know, where, where do you, where do you find a million Bibles? To, to well, that was, that was our challenge. That was indeed the challenge. So uh, he set up two coordinators for the project. I had a colleague I was working with who was a Chinese Filipino brother. He was doing everything inside China. I was set up as the coordinator of the project outside China. That is all the logistics of just what you're asking. Well, we had we also had a deadline. They really wanted them at Easter time. Actually, the Saturday night of Easter Eve was the original time that we were going to deliver these Bibles. That would have been in April. And as you've already mentioned, it wasn't until June 18th when we did it. But so that was our original schedule. Well, to get a million Bibles printed and have them available for that time, time schedule was really incredibly difficult. First of all, the United Bible Society gave us uh, uh, the uh, rights to print their plates uh, of the uh, Union version, it was called, um, uh, and uh, simplified script Mao Zedong had introduced to China. The only place, we, we went everywhere looking for printers, South Korea, Japan, all over, uh, all over the Asia where we lived. We lived in Manila at this time. And uh, we found that the only really way we could get it done on time was in the United States. Yeah. So Nelson Bible Publishers uh, were able to get two printing presses that are Bible presses running uh, for weeks and weeks, running day and night, 
24-7. Uh, it took two presses doing that to get these uh, million Bibles printed. That cost um, uh, $1.5 million, or $2.5 million, actually. Sorry, they, they were uh, for the actual price of the Bibles. And uh, that was, and they then were shipped to San Francisco, where a group of Christian guys who had been converted through the Jesus People movement there uh, came and helped package this. It had to be done secretly. So yeah. there were, the uh, Bibles were half a pound each. They wow. had like a vinyl cover on them, uh, paperback, we would call it. And they uh, were in boxes of 90 Bibles to a box, 45 pounds each. Those boxes were stacked uh, 48 boxes high uh, into a block and then wrapped in waterproof wrapping, sealed, and then put ropes around them. They took the first one when they had packaged this one. It weighed one ton. Each of these <laughs> weighed a ton, and there were 232 of them. Good heavens. Uh, they took the first one down to the bay in San Francisco and threw it in the water to see, make sure it would float. Well, it floated with uh, six inches uh, above the water and they had a man stand on it and there were still two inches of freeboard when, when somebody's even standing on one of those wow. blocks because the air is trapped inside. You have yeah. air trapped inside these boxes. So we knew it would float. So that was the plan. The plan was to have a special barge built that would be just the right size on the deck for 232 of these blocks. They would then be um, taken, you know, swept off of the, the bar. It was actually a submarine-like barge. There's never been one built like it to our knowledge even since, where the barge could take in water in tanks and go down just below the surface, not like way under like a submarine, but the same principle, yeah. dropping it down below the water surface. Electric side doors, so that and these blocks were tied. They had ropes around them. Yeah. They were tied together so that about 10 of them could be pulled off in a chain uh, with little rubber boats and then towed into shore. So that when was you say it was a, a submarine barge, Paul, what, so what would have been, if you were standing on the, you know, on the, uh, on the mainland that night, what would you, what would, what would you have seen? What, what, what uh, was visible? It was, visible just, it was just a great big metal barge. Um, it was a, what, what they call a dumb barge. It didn't have an engine in it. It was pulled by a tugboat, so we had okay. to get a tugboat to yeah, yeah. pull it, yeah. and uh, then and then uh, and put it in. The reason for June 18 was that was the first night, and everything was really scheduled where we could coordinate everything. And it was high tide at nine o'clock at night. That's what we wanted. We wanted to be as close to the shore as we could possibly get with that barge. And we can only do that at high tide. So um, that was the that was the stretch. So these were uh, we had, God provided us with an old sea captain who was a missionary in the Philippines. He just passed away a few years ago. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful man. Yeah. And he he was brilliant. And he designed he actually designed that barge and had it built in the Philippines to his specifications. So it would do that. And then you would you had big pumps underneath there that would pump out the water afterwards, bring the barge back up and off. We'd go with a, back to the Philippines with an empty barge once all these Bibles were off of it. Yeah. The, the tugboat we found in Singapore, it's a mir miraculous story. Yeah, God did miracle after miracle along the way. Every yeah. stage of our plan 
yeah. uh, ran into snakes and problems and challenges and and frankly financial challenges you know open doors budget in, in those days of uh, 1979 80 was about 10 million dollars a year worldwide and this project was projected to cost uh, seven and a half million to ten million dollars which would be like doubling your your expenses yes. in one year yes. and i mean it was the biggest step of faith that i've ever seen any any even organization take in fact brother andrew now says if i knew how many bibles that was and what it would have cost i'm not sure i would have said let's go for it you know so <laughs> but but we did and you know where did the, the money come from paul all over the world uh, um, many many all we had bases of course like in south africa in australia new zealand uk uh, um, in and those days also of course holland was where andrew lived the uh, netherlands and then we had offices even then up up in norway and of canada and us so uh, um, there was just a very strong push for this project called project pearl it was named at Pearl after the Matthew's account of Jesus' story of the pearl merchant who, when he found the greatest pearl, sold everything he had and, um, and went to get that pearl. That's how the Chinese Christians felt about the Bible. They were willing to give everything in order to have it. In fact, we were so concerned about the size of this thing we sent our Chinese brother into China to meet with these five house church leaders who had asked for a million Bibles and told us where to bring them. They told us a beach area where there were lots of Christians that would be there to, to help with the distribution. Yeah. So they, he went to meet them and he said to them, do you know how many a million Bibles are? I mean, you're going to need any, you know, he indicated the space they'd need just to st store them even temporarily. Yeah. And they said, oh, yeah, we're, we understand. We're already, we're worried about you. Don't you worry about us. Okay. And then, they, then he said to them, well, do you know what could happen to you if you're caught with these Bibles? Because they're clandestine. They're coming in from outside unofficially. I mean, some people use the word smuggling. We, we, we usually just called it unofficial delivery. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was no money exchange. These were gifts. We yeah, gave them so as cool. gifts. And uh, so, and when he asked them that question, one of these brothers stood up and he said, Brother Joseph, he said, every one of us five leaders of this house church network have been in prison for our faith in Jesus. And we are willing to die mm. if it means that a million brothers and sisters can have a copy of God's word. Wow. Well, Joseph came back when he told us he had tears in his eyes. And I think we all did too, because he said, you know, they're willing to die for a million Bibles. What are we willing to do? Yeah. And that, that really gave us the motivation to go for it. And wow. at every step, every step, there was a roadblock. And at every step, just at the last minute on time, God provided, whether it was money or uh, permits, because we had to get, uh, you know, permits for 20, 20 guys on a tugboat who had never been to sea before. And you just don't get that kind of permits you know, out of thin air. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so uh, we had miracle after miracle. That's why we call, I called my book when I wrote the book on the story in 2008, many years later when it was secure to do that uh, regarding our contacts inside. Then uh, I called it Night of a Million Miracles because there were a million miracles that occurred before we even got to that beach. Yes. And of course, each of the Bibles then has a story of its own. And those have come out over 40 years. We've been able to glean all kinds of stories of how that happened. But these, so 20 guys on a tugboat pulling a barge <laughs> go into the beach on the night of June 18. We get there at 9 o'clock. It's dark. Of course, it gets dark at 6 there. Yeah. Uh, there's hundreds, even possibly thousands of Christians on the beach waiting for us. And we we uh, drop the barge down to the below the water, open the side doors, pull off those blocks into the water. We were never able to practice it. It was way too big. Of, yeah. We had loaded these blocks in Hong Kong and then steamed up the coast in th three days to to get into this beach. And um, they, they, we then had three little rubber boats that towed these things in. The Chinese Christians especially uh, came out into the water, right up, some of the men up to their neck. And we throw them the lines and they pull those lines up and they pull those blocks up onto the edge of the beach. And then we provided them with shears where they could cut open the waterproof wrapping. And each of the cardboard boxes, of course, was waterproof wrapped or plastic wrapped also. Yeah. And they would hand those boxes, daisy chain style, up the beach all along the cove where we, where we were meeting. And, and uh, in two hours, we had all of those off of the barge onto the beach. But it was noisy. I mean, it made a lot of noise. You got three little boats chug, 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 yeah. you know, chugging and pulling these things in. There was no way without God's protection yeah. that we'd ever accomplish that in two hours. We'd hoped to do it in an hour. It took yeah. two. Um, but a very noisy clandestine operation. It was a very noisy clandestine <laughs> operation. And, I mean, how and, did you, looking back, Paul, uh, you know, as, as you were on that barge and you're approaching the coast, um, this, this, you know, this immense cargo, this illegal cargo, essentially on board, about to land. Do you remember how you felt? What what thoughts were going through your mind at the time? Um, yeah, well, no, we were, we were, we listen. We had seen so many miracles happen up to this point. We were totally convinced that God was in this, mm. and that He wanted these Bibles in the hands of His people. Yeah. So we were, I mean, th those roadblocks and the miracles to overcome them were really what in what enabled us to have the faith to believe this could really happen mm -hmm. and that somehow God would protect us. Mm -hmm. Now, we did sign documents for open doors. It was necessary that that if we were intercepted or if we were arrested or if any kind of challenge came the organization was not responsible for us or anything that happened to us. Mm. I mean, is that, that's something you would expect in any situation like that. Mm. But we were, we were ready to go. Now, we only had one moment of real concern. And we were now, this was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We were out in international waters on the 18th, on the night of the delivery. And we turned due west to head into that beach. So now we're, you know, miles and miles out. And as we're getting in, uh, I'm up, um, Brother Joseph was on the helm. He was steering. The captain was, of course, in charge of everything. And uh, I was looking with binoculars at the, at the coast. Mm. 
And on the coast, I see these these gunboats that are, you know, patrolling back and forth because the area where we went to near the city of Santo is where the, the Chinese Navy is based in southern China. The southern Navy is there. We're going right through a naval center to get to a beach just south of the city uh, to drop these Bibles. But we look normal. I mean, a tugboat pulling a barge, you couldn't see the cargo. Of course, they're all waterproof wrapped in a thing. Yeah. A tugboat pulling a barge is a very normal thing to see in that area. So it's not like we had to worry about what we looked like. Yes. But um, we, but if intercepted and checked, you know, we would have had great difficulty. But the captain was so, so bugs about uh, weapons that he said, when we got to this point, he said, you guys take your pocket knives out of your pockets because every guy at sea has got a knife in his pocket. To, you know, you know, you never know when you need it for what. Yes. And he said, throw it overboard. He said, if we're stopped and if we're discovered, if we're, you know, if we're, if we're uh, arrested or whatever, there's to be no, we, there's no weapons of any kind that they could ever uh, find on us. Yes. Because all we're doing is delivering a bunch of Bibles to people yes. who desperately need them. Yeah. Well, as as we got close to shore, about yeah. um, about five thirty, just half an hour before dark, one of those gunboats, which was patrolling the coast, started coming out toward us. And it started coming right at us. Mm. And our hearts started to pitter-patter. I think our, our blood pressures went up just a little bit at this point. Because it's a gunboat with one of these guys on the back with a great big multi-millimeter cannon. You know, and he's pointing it right at us. And he comes out at us about 100 meters off our port side. And, um, and as, he, you know, as he's coming, the captain, I remember that the captain is great guy and he said okay all you white boys get down on the floor uh you know they only want to see asians and and me the old captain with his white beard yeah. says, um, they're the only ones i want them to see if they're looking into our bridge yeah. so we all sat on the floor and uh, i was sitting by the radio i was also the radio operator and on this project on the ship so i'm because you see they could use vhf radio contact which is what ships do to, to contact one another. Like we could have got a call, even if it was in Chinese, um, to say, who are you and what are you doing? You know, where are you going? Yeah. So I was waiting for a, a radio call and didn't, nothing came. And the captain says, the captain mutters, I won't look at you if you don't look at me. You know? <laughs> and as it came, that 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 uh, gunboat just went straight out to open sea, a hundred meters off of our port side. Yeah. And although uh, they were looking at us, they never did stop us or try to intercept us. And we sighed a deep sigh of relief um, when that when that gunboat just kept going out there. Wow. So I had no idea where it was going. And then, uh, then of course, able to actually see all these believers on the beach, you know, handling these boxes was just amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, Paul, as you look back, I mean, it's 40 years on now. So, uh, you know, as you, as you look back, how, how do you think this affected the rest of your life, this taking part well, in this? 
what do you think well, is similar to you? Significantly, because um, uh, first of all, the, I knew that I knew about the need, mm-hmm. and um, that that uh, and and how much the Bible was treasured by believers there who didn't have one. I mean, the 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 extent they would go to hand copy Bibles. There were people that stay up all night using just candlelight to hand copy portions of the Bible because they were so desperate for them if they happened to have one and making it for others. And then they memorized it. They memorized the Bible because many times they wouldn't have a a chance to see another one whenever they could. Even as groups, they memorized the Bible every week, uh, house churches that we knew of. So the, the value of God's word when, when it's not available uh, was just a very significant thing. And then the way God answered prayer for all of these uh, challenges along the way was just absolutely faith building. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're doing something and you know that this is what God wants done, yeah. it, is, it is a real faith builder. Yes, and uh, it made me realize just how significant it is uh, to, to be involved in God's projects, if you will. And um, this was one of them. But there were so many results of it, too, later. I mean, there, the, the, the fact that um, the Bibles had such an impact on the growing house church movement. See, we thought we were just meeting a need. We did have a secondary purpose to do this, and that was to try to pressure China into um, printing Bibles inside the country. See, they weren't doing this at the time, and any Bibles coming in had to be brought in from outside. And of course, about uh, eight years after Project Pearl, uh, or seven years, uh, the United Bible Society struck a deal with the the government official church, the Three Self-Patriotic Movement Church to set up the Amity Bible printing presses in Nanjing, China. I was just there a few years ago, and today it is the largest Bible printing operation in the entire world. I mean, it is huge. Now, they print for all over the world, not just for in China. In fact, it's still difficult in some places for people to get Bibles in China. They aren't sold in in bookstores, first of all, which is the logical thing you think would, would be the case for any yeah. book. You just go yeah. buy one. Yeah. You can get them at the official churches, but obviously you, you don't, if, if, you're, if you're from a house church network, say out in the countryside, way out in the countryside, in a more, a much more, in an area of poverty, let's say, you know, you know people, low income people, and you need a thousand Bibles for, for believers there. Uh, you're not going to go to a three self-government church and say, I want to buy a thousand Bibles. And they say, well, who are you? Where, what are they for? Where are they going? You know, I mean, it was just, it's just difficult. It's still, they may not even have like a thousand at that moment. They could maybe get a hold of them, but yes. So it's, it's, it's still a challenge in China today, but, but of course nothing like it was in 1980 and 81. Uh, And, uh, there were there were so many Bibles. One of the one of the greatest stories of of uh, what happened was from a network leader who was known as the Billy Graham of China. Hmm. His name is Peter Shu, and Peter 
uh, heard about Project Pearl, and he heard that there was a depository down in, he was in the north of China, but down in the south of China where this happened, there was a depository where his men could go and get some of these Project Pearl Bibles. Mm-hmm. Every month, he sent three men once a month by bus down to this place to get them. They would take these big bags. They come back with bags loaded with all of these Bibles. Well, one time they were down there, and they were coming back on the bus, and the police searched the bus before it left. They just, are, you know, it was just a random search, and they found these Bibles. And, of course, they were from outside the country, from Hong Kong, actually, was where they actually were delivered from, if people. And uh, they, they, uh, they took those Bibles and threw them in the latrine, in the public toilets. Now, you know, if you've been to any of these smaller cities in China, they're, they're smaller, but they're still millions of people. Yeah, they have yeah. these public toilets that's just like an open pit with um, uh, boards and a little hut above it, you know, and, and it's, it's literally uh, just a, a cesspool. Yeah. And they threw the, the, there were a thousand Bibles. These men could get into these bags. They were, oh. they'd get a thousand Bibles every time they went. And they threw these thousand Bibles into the pit and put the men in prison for the weekend. Hmm. On, uh, after the weekend was over, they told them, you know, they took their information, their IDs and said, you are never to come back here again. And you know, they, they showed them that they had all their identifications and they said you're to go back and never come back here again and but the guys didn't go back right away they hid in the park and at night after dark they went back to the latrine they they lowered one man into the latrine if you could imagine this is just unbelievable Mm -hmm. and he fished he fished out of the the septic tank essentially 1,000 of those Bibles, they took them over. There was a, a water tap in the park, and they took them over, and they washed them off under this tap and put them in their bags and went home on the bus with them. When they got home, they laid them out in the sun to dry, and then they sprayed them with perfume and put them into the system. So somewhere today in China, a thousand Christians have what we call the perfume Bibles. <laughs> but, isn't that incredible about how, how valued scripture is that they would actually risk their own health and, and their lives to, to fish them out of a septic tank. And uh, my goodness, it's, it's, it's just incredible um, what's happened there. Well, Paul, thank you. I'm sure we could go on and on. I'm sure there's a, <laughs> we could. We could. a depository <laughs> of other stories, but I think we're going to have to bring things to a close today. Oh. But many thanks for your time and for uh, inspiring us so much with your stories. You are more than welcome. Um, there are lots of stories to hear on this project. Maybe we'll come back to them at another point. Oh. Thank you so much. I'm delighted now to chat with Mary Hammond, editor of The Plain Truth and a very good friend. And I ought to warn you that during the course of this interview, there were some police sirens going on somewhere in the vicinity. Uh, But be assured that nobody was arrested during the course of this interview. Well, I'm delighted to 
welcome my good friend Mary uh, to the podcast. Welcome, Mary. Good morning, Gethin. It's lovely to speak with you. So, Mary, you've you've been involved with Plain Truth for for well, probably far far more years than you'd care to admit to. Um, and you know, over the course of time, you you've you've produced I don't know how many uh, editions of the magazine. You've commissioned people to write for the magazine. You've written loads of stuff yourself. Obviously, um, you know, the Plain Truth has many many, many um, subscribers who are really loyal. I know people have been reading this, the magazine, been part of the journey for many years. Um, and they're, they're, I think that we're talking about loyalty, um, generosity. So I'm, I'm in your position as, as editor of the magazine and very involved with the, the charity that's behind all of this. I wonder, is there anything you'd particularly like to say to uh, these supporters are your supporters now. Well, the Plain Truth magazine has always had the policy of the magazine being free of charge without a cover price and we've never charged for it. Um, it is a work of faith um, in that we never know where the money is going to be coming from. We have, as you, you say, we do have some very loyal subscribers that support us financially, um, but we don't ask you know, for, for um, a, a cover price or a subscription price for the magazine. But for those people that are able to support us financially, with, without you, we just couldn't produce the magazine and it couldn't be distributed to the people. And many people, that is church for them, it's, it's receiving the magazine through their letterbox. For those that aren't able to support us, we say, look, please only give us any, uh, funds if you are able but just pray for the work of the plain truth and that's sufficient really but for all of those that do write letters of encouragement as well as financial contributions and donations we're just so very very grateful and just like to say a big thank you but what what are your what are your hopes as we launch i mean you know this is a it's a new initiative it's a new technology and to reach current readers of the magazine but also maybe a, a whole new generation, a whole new group of people. I wonder what your, your hopes are for this. Well, first of all, my, my thoughts on the, the podcast launching is it is very exciting that we are able to do this. So we're very grateful for that fact. Um, the printed magazine, there are limitations, obviously, because of postal costs. Currently, we reach 81 countries in the world. Um, and that's out of a total of 195 countries. So we're not doing too badly by reaching 81 countries. But by giving us a far wider scope reach to get to those other countries that we're not reaching and the people that we're not reaching, I think the podcast, obviously, it's going to cost wise, we're going to be able to do that. Um, currently, also, our readers are perhaps older readers that prefer a print magazine, though we do have it as a PDF. So by this podcast, I'm hoping that we can, people perhaps while they're sitting at their computers, wherever they be in the world, um, that we can have some, perhaps some younger listeners and that we can attract more people to challenge their thinking, um, to inspire them, to give them information and some thought-provoking material from a Christian perspective so that we can preach the gospel to more people uh, across the world and give them some encouragement for the future.
Mary, that's brilliant. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. Well, you know, we, we can launch this new venture with your blessing and the blessing of the, uh, the magazine, and we'll just see where we end up. Um, this will be uh, once a month. That's the intention. Uh, and we'll, I guess what's going to be exciting, as you've just mentioned, is that each month there'll be, we, we hope to use to talk to a contributor or maybe an aunt, maybe a, an issue that's been raised in the magazine and we can maybe tackle it in a slightly different way or look at it in a different way uh, on the podcast so uh but thank you thank you for your support and uh, i'm sure we'll hear from you soon again thank you Gethin. thank you very much And finally, Brother David Jardine is going to lead us in a short reflection. This will be a regular feature on the podcast, where David, a Church of Ireland priest and a member of the Society of St. Francis, will help us think through some of the big issues of life and faith. Many of us in Northern Ireland were dismayed when at Easter this year, community violence broke out once again on the streets. It lasted for about 10 days, and people were concerned that it was going to be ongoing. What stopped it was the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. Out of respect for him, participants and organizers of the violence decided to call a halt until after the Duke's funeral. Fortunately, until now it has not started again. Let's hope it stays that way. There were a number of articles in newspapers about why the violence started. They said that Brexit had caused instability, that Northern Ireland's position in the Union was weakened because of a customs border down the Irish Sea. Then there was the huge increase in the number of customs checks on goods coming into Northern Ireland from Great Britain. The chief veterinary officer of Northern Ireland said that there were more checks at the Northern Ireland border than the whole of the rest of the EU borders put together. There was tension over the funeral of a leading IRA man attended by thousands in the middle of a pandemic. Some other reasons were given, and there's no doubt that all of these factors coming together were largely responsible for the explosion of violence at that time. However, I was reading an article in a book at the same time about parts of the world where at regular intervals violence would break out between two countries or between two communities. Northern Ireland was mentioned as one of them. And the writer felt that the reason in these cases was that the two communities or countries had never really forgiven one another for wounds inflicted over a long period of time. I felt that this was true about Northern Ireland while we have many amazing acts of forgiveness by individual people who have suffered grievously, the two communities, Protestant and Catholic, Unionist and Nationalist, as a whole, have never really forgiven one another. So I started to take this seriously once again for myself. I come from the Protestant Unionist community, so I wrote down in my prayer book the names of people from the Nationalist and Republican community whom I found difficult. A small number of them I did not like. I took time every day 
to practice forgiveness towards them, often praying for an hour or more. As I went through my list, I prayed for each one of them. Jimmy, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. And I praise God that in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Each time I prayed, I made that affirmation of forgiveness a number of times for each individual. Then I moved through to the next stage. Jimmy, I have forgiven you in the name of Jesus. And I praise God that in the name of Jesus, you have been forgiven. Each time I prayed, I found God's peace. I also found that any annoyance or even anger gradually disappeared. At this time, I could give a warm welcome to any of the people I am praying for, no matter what they have done. One of the verses in the Bible which inspires me to forgive is 1 Peter 3 verse 9. Peter wrote this at a time when Christians were being brutally persecuted, but he was still able to say, do not return evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. For to this you were called, so that you yourselves may inherit a blessing. Isn't that amazing? They were being persecuted, but Peter said that if they did not try to get their own back, but blessed those people instead, they themselves would inherit a blessing. Is it any wonder I often say that out of all the gifts God has given me, forgiveness must be near the top of the list. Significant times when I have been hurt and through forgiveness, my peace has been restored, sometimes very quickly. And the way is also opened up for a reconciliation in the relationship. I once heard a preacher say, that the heaviest burden anybody can carry is a grudge. But there is no need to. If we are willing, through forgiveness, peace can be restored, both between individuals and between communities. Thanks for listening to this launch podcast. There'll be another one around next month, so please listen out for it and subscribe. If you'd like to read more stories on some of the topics discussed today, then please visit our website, where you can sign up for a free subscription of The Plain Truth. Just go to www.plain-truth.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Be with you next time. God bless. Bye-bye.